podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome back to another World Cup podcast here on Anfield Index. After the, the first weekend of knockout fixtures in the tournament, it's uh, it's fair to say that we weren't disappointed whatsoever. Two very different days uh, full of games in terms of penalty shootouts, late drama, um, goals galore as well. And plenty to talk about. So uh, joining me um, to, to help talk about the events, and I think we'll definitely be focusing on France and some of the emergence of Kylian Mbappe in that uh, 4-3 thriller against Argentina. Um, I have Jonathan Johnson, uh, France correspondent, PSG League One correspondent for ESPN FC. Jonathan, great to speak with you. Hey, thanks for having me on. No, it's perfect. Um, yesterday after that France-Argentina game, we just just thinking about the, the numerous topics to talk about, but I think as we spoke about a little bit before the pod started there, just each game has had plenty of its own sort of talking points from it, even though Perhaps uh, uh, Sunday's games are the late drama of, of the penalty shootout in both games is is of course you know, undeniable. But as you mentioned, a hundred twenty minute stretch to get there um, did take some uh, did take some sort of persistence at some point. But um, just to start with France, then um, yeah, four yeah, Argentina three, France four. The scoreline perhaps then I think probably flatters Argentina in the end in terms of the balance of the game. Um, before we get into talk about sort of specifics, um, what did you make of France's overall performance in that game? You know, seeing as though I think up until now there had been sort of a sense that they were frustratingly unbalanced at times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that, that's that's fair enough. Looking at their World Cup campaign overall, um, I think in the game against Argentina, you could probably split it into a couple of sections. You have the start, which you know I thought was quite good from France. Uh, obviously, they took the lead and they took the foot off the gas a bit, and that's when Argentina got back into the match. Di Maria scored that stunning equaliser. Uh, Mercado puts puts Argentina ahead early in the the second half, uh, and you know that's when uh, France really stepped it up a gear. And I'd say that was uh, you know the the turning point of the match was when Pavard got the uh, got the equaliser. But it was really that Mercado goal that, that brought France to life. It was at that moment that they realised right. Uh, you know, we we can't keep um, labouring uh, like we have so far this World Cup because if we if we continue to do this, we're we're going to be out in uh, in less than forty five minutes time, and that's that that that's when we finally started to see France move up the gear. But we know that they've uh, you know they they've been capable of going up uh, since the beginning of the tournament, but we hadn't seen them uh, you know move move up that. Uh, that many gears up until uh, up until this part of the tournament. So I think it was uh, it, it was long overdue uh, in terms of the fact that we hadn't really seen them hit that uh, that that sort of standard of play in the three group matches. Uh, but it arrived right in the nick of time, uh, you know. And the way that France really pulverised Argentina in that 11-minute spell in the second half was 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 incredible. Certainly, things for France to work on. Uh, as they head into the quarterfinal against Argentina, notably in defence, uh, but going forward, uh, you know they don't have too much to, to 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 worry about right now because what they did to Argentina, 
Argentina's lack of organization or not. You know, I don't think there's too many sides uh, in the World Cup uh, that will be able to stand up to that. And you'd say if you fancied one team to perhaps be able to do that, it would be uh, it, it would be Uruguay. So it sets it up quite nicely for that uh, for, for that quarterfinal. But it is a nice feeling, you know, to to finally feel like France have woken up and arrived at this World Cup. Yeah, for sure. I think there's been plenty of sides that you you, you perhaps focus on ahead of the tournament as being ones that you know, possess talent all over their sort of squad. And, and, and France are one of those. Belgium, perhaps another one as well. Um, and you, you're just wondering when they're going to finally click and connect. And um, interesting though that you mentioned that it, it took that Mercado goal for them to really wake up. It was that incentive that you know, they actually realised, hang on, we're going to be we're going to be knocked out here unless we actually get our act together. Um, up until now, then, when you, when you mentioned those group games where France had been rather disappointing, albeit getting the results in the end, what do you put that down to in the whole? Is, it, is, there, is there a tactical reason that, you, that you've seen from Deschamps so far in the group stages in, in, in the tournament so far that's that's been the real frustrating factor? Or, or do you think it's just a case of um, you know, particular players um, not performing as they should do? I thought today, for example, you know, um, today, yesterday, for example, Pogba, and Matuidi, um, between them, were excellent. Um, what would you put that sort of lack of fluidity down to uh, prior to that game? I mean, I'd say, I'd say there's, a, there's a lot of reasons that contribute towards France's mixed showing so far. You know, I think they were slow out of the blocks against Australia, and my, my belief um, for that was the fact that Deschamps got his starting 11 uh, wrong, both against Australia and against Peru. If I was him, I would have gone... Uh, the other way around, I would have gone with uh, the starting eleven from the Australia match against Peru, the starting eleven from the Peru match uh, against Australia. I think the 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 thing that really um, messed France up a little bit, if we can say that, considering that you know they did finish with uh, with seven points out of a possible nine at the end of the group stage, was that Deschamps went with um, a bit too youthful um, a starting eleven against Australia. I think he could have done with a more workmanlike. Um, starting 11 to start with and then could have gone uh, for a more youthful, more vibrant approach against Peru and I think we'd probably uh, have, have seen a more attractive France ahead um, in those two matches, possibly going into the into the Denmark one as well as it would have obviously um, had a knock-on effect on the, the rotation of certain members of the squad. Uh, but I don't think it's any coincidence that France started to look more serious in this World Cup uh, since the introduction of the likes of Blaise Matuidi and Olivier Giroud uh, and, and Deschamps sort of re-establishing them as, as key members of the uh, of, of his starting eleven because they weren't at the beginning of the tournament. He was intending to go through uh, this this campaign in Russia with um, those two players sort of as, uh, as as substitutes and perhaps just older heads who don't even necessarily see much game time on the pitch. Uh, but they have proved because they're reliable uh, in in the eyes of Deschamps uh, in these big international tournaments uh, that he still can't do without them. Uh, some people will criticise Deschamps and say that he should be moving away from uh, relying on the likes of Giroud and playing people like Matuidi in a, in a wide left role. But at the same time, when they perform as they did uh, in, in the games when they've been selected so far, notably uh, Matuidi against uh, Argentina, uh, and Peru and uh, Giroud in the, in the in the group stage matches. Okay, he wasn't as good against Argentina, but he's still been decent, particularly in the Argentina and Peru matches where he was involved in uh, in in some of the goals that were scored, particularly the late winner against Australia and uh, Mbappe's goal, which was the only goal of the game against Peru. 
So I, I think that the Deschamps has done well there to recognise that he was wrong to leave them out from the beginning and perhaps should have gone with them from the start uh, and then taken them out gradually over time. Um, I don't think we're going to see him do that now for the remainder of the competition, especially when you come up against a team that's as experienced as uh, as Uruguay are. But I I think that the Deschamps' initial selection against Australia um, set the tone uh, in the wrong way uh, ahead of the rest of the group stage, and that's why we've seen France be a bit underwhelming uh, when they were up against the likes of Peru and then up against the likes of uh, of Denmark. But you know, as we saw against Argentina, uh, Deschamps finally seems to have uh, have 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 righted himself because you, I think it's important that we bear in mind in that Argentina match that France managed to fight back from 2-1 down having been a goal up uh, and none of the substitutions were made substitutions were only made changes were only made once uh, all of the goals had been scored so I think that that shows uh, exactly how that, that Mercado goal to put Argentina ahead really woke up this this France side and, and I think that Deschamps now knows that he uh, you know, has has to go with certain known elements of uh, of, of his squad, notably uh, Matuidi and Giroud. Yeah, it's interesting that I think for Argentina, of course, when they had that small sort of spell either side of the um, half time, rather with Angel Di Maria scoring that sort of incredible goal for uh, around 40, 41 minutes into the game, um, that sort of seemed to have the impact of giving Argentina all the momentum as they came back out for the second half, and of course they grabbed that sort of. Um, scrappy goal, but you know, any goals are, you take them all. To the Mercado scoring in the 48th minute. Um, interesting that, then that it was Benjamin Pavar who scored that sort of, another one to go quite similar to Nacho's goal. I think in that, in that Spain Portugal game, but, but perhaps even sweeter in terms of how he actually struck the ball. Um, that then got France on their way, and of course Mbappe scoring you know, two goals in the four minutes. I think it was um, to really take the game away from. From Argentina at, at, at that point, Benjamin Pavard's um, an, an interesting sort of uh, player. I want to talk about just just briefly because I'll admit to have not seen, having seen much of him prior to this tournament. I, I've heard from sort of other French fans that even prior to the tournament, they weren't all too familiar with exactly what impact he'd have on the team. Um, it seems as though he's he's incredibly assured on the ball. Seems pretty confident going forward as well. I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to hit quite a few. Um, quite as many strikes as as well as he did in that game against Argentina. But um, what have you made of him and sort of his role in the side since he's come into Deschamps' team? Yeah, I mean, he's a very interesting player, notably because he can play central um, defence as well as right back. Uh, and to be honest, I think that's one of the, the things that's so um, interesting about this French back four, because Lucas Hernandez, uh, who plays at left back and uh, is an Atletico Madrid player, is also capable of playing in central defence as well as at left back. So you have four players really at the back who, who could form sort of like a a back central defensive four if they uh, if if they needed to. Uh, personally, with with Pavard, I think he's uh, what, what's been most surprising about him is how good he is going forward. I mean, it's not just the goal against Argentina; uh, it's some of the crosses he was putting in in some of the games and the build up to the World Cup, uh, and also since he's uh, you know since, since the way that he's played going forward since the World Cup has started as well. I mean, okay, it was it was a known fact that up until the the Denmark match and Benjamin Mendy had been brought on as a as a substitute. France actually hadn't put any crosses into the box uh, in their you know in their opening group stage matches, but uh, you know I think he's 
uh, he, he's grown into this 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 right back role in the the French team, which has been an issue for Deschamps since he took since he took over. Gibraltar Sidibe not exactly convincing. Mathieu Debouchy left it too late to to leave uh, to leave Arsenal really, uh, and I I think that Pavard has taken his chance and. Given his age, given the way that he's playing, and the fact that there's, uh, I think there's a lot of potential room for improvement for him. Uh, you know, I think that he could make that starting role his own in the in the coming years because there's not too many competitors really uh, for that uh, position. And you know, as as you've seen, he's performed very solidly so far uh, in Russia, uh, and with a couple more uh, good performances before the end of this competition, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, if there are big European uh, clubs looking to prize him away from Stuttgart in the, in the Bundesliga where he's playing his football at the moment, I, mean, I think Lille, looking at the way that he's played uh, so far at the World Cup, will be kicking themselves uh, for, for having allowed him to leave uh, a couple of years ago when they did. Uh, you know, it was quite an unheralded exit uh, from the club, but he has really uh, proven himself since. And, you know, he, he deserves the success he's getting at the moment. Yeah, and to move on to an, another sort of young player, of course, in, incredibly young player, and, and you talked about how perhaps Deschamps got it wrong in terms of the balance of the side at the start of the tournament. Maybe should have gone more functional, more um, more workmanlike to start off with, but then introducing the youth as as and when he went along. Um, of course, though, it's, it's it's a teenager that grabs all the headlines from this game. You know, Mbappe scoring two goals. Uh, first teenager to do so at the World Cup, I think, since since Pele in 1958, and uh, they're all showing the clips after the game, of course. But um, what did you make of his performance? Because I think it's with with a player like Mbappe, um, it's it's very easy to sort of be reductive about just how impressive they are athletically. Because I mean, at least for his role in that sort of opening penalty that Griezmann got, you know, the way in which he sort of strolled past, blasted past. Um, the entire Argentina team, and then you th- you're thinking that, that, that there's Rojo there to go, and he even you know, just fancies himself to t- to go that that little bit further and take on Rojo, and then of course wins the penalty. Um, so there was undeniably some some incredible feats of athleticism in the, in that game. But was there sort of also a level of maturity there, as of just where he popped up on um, throughout the pitch, um, that showed he's he's more than perhaps just this incredible athletic specimen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that I'm somebody who watches Mbappe week in, week out, not just when he's playing for the French national team. And I can tell you already, he is a very, very mature um, young kid, not not just in the way that he talks to the press uh, before and after matches, but but in the way that he plays as well. Uh, you know, you can tell that he watches a lot of football studies. Um, a lot of the a lot of the great players and the way that he positions himself, some of the things that he tries during matches, and he's he's way ahead of the curve in in so many respects. And you know, I think we saw that in the uh, in the game against Argentina. Uh, it was a very very uh, complete showing. Uh, many people talking about the, the the likes of Pele. I mean, for me, the player that Mbappe reminds me of so often. Uh, especially as I grew up watching, watching him is, uh, is, is Brazilian Ronaldo. He's just, you know, he has everything, uh, in his locker, uh, you know, and the fact that he's, he's still got room for improvement to me tells me that, uh, you know, he is somebody who could perhaps, uh, you know, go on to, to better what Ronaldo achieved in the game, assuming that he stays injury free, because obviously that was a massive downfall of, uh, of, of Ronaldo's. Uh, you know, I didn't expect him to maybe have that much of an impact in, um, 
in a, in a match against a, a team like Argentina. But at the same time, when you look at the way that the, the game unfolded, it's, you know, it's unsurprising, really. He was a constant threat to that really um, chaotic um, Argentinian backline. No idea really what uh, what Rojo was thinking when he went in on Mbappe, but at the same time, you know, as as many people have pointed out, it, it was almost a miracle that he even managed to to, to catch up with Mbappe by the end of that. Uh, let alone, uh, you know, make contact with him and, and bring him down for the penalty. He is a very very tough uh, player to to, to 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 keep tabs on, uh, and I I think that it's going to be a very good test uh, of Uruguay's watertight defence thus far in the World Cup uh, when the two teams meet in the quarterfinals because as much as it'll be a good test of Uruguay's back line it's also going to be a very good test of this this French front line as well and we'll we'll be able to see what else Mbappe has in his locker uh, in in that match but it, it hasn't surprised me the way that the, the Mbappe has dealt with this the you know the mature fashion uh, with which he's he's handling himself so far at this World Cup both on and off the pitch. Yeah, it was interesting to me, obviously, not not having the privilege of seeing sort of Mbappe week in, week out at PSG, seeing highlights whenever I do get the chance to to watch them. Of course, incredibly impressive footballer. And I think as well, um, slightly older than him, of course, Usman Dembele was sort of a player we saw right at the start of the group stages with France. And, and perhaps that wasn't the, the addition of youth, even despite the fact that he's a bit older. He, he does appear a little bit raw at times. Um He's a player who's, he, he, I'm going to try to uh, avoid talking too heavily about Liverpool in this podcast because it is the World Cup one, but of course there's been sort of very vague links from, uh, depressed to sort of Dembele to Liverpool, just whatever you want to believe. But in terms of the comparison between Dembele and Mbappe, um, I think it's been qu- quite interesting to see the comparison there. What do you make of them both in terms of where they are in their development? Uh, obviously we're seeing Mbappe grab all the headlines here. Um, and you know, pace, power, maturity, tactical discipline as well. Um, do you think Dembele is slightly rawer in in those aspects? Uh, yeah, I do think so, and I also think that Dembele is is not as complete a player as Mbappe. Doesn't right. mean that I'm I'm not saying at all that Dembele is not um, a, a good player. It's just you know Mbappe is one of those. Um, generational talents really, uh, you know, may well go on to become one of the, the game's true greats. Uh, but, but that said, you know, Dembele is still a very talented player. I mean, I think as well, people are very harsh on Dembele. Uh, the fact that he's, you know, he, as well as the, the majority of that starting 11, uh, the World Cup in the, the opening match against Australia struggled. Uh, didn't quite have the desired impact, um, when he's come on as a substitute in some of the other matches. And, you know, for, for, for me, I think that, um, another thing that gets overlooked is the fact that he had a bit of an injury hit season with Barcelona as yeah. well. He is yeah. still a very good player. Okay. He just might not be, uh, you know, on the, the, the same level as Mbappe, but that doesn't mean that people should sort of, um, see him as something like the, you know, the, the poor man's equivalent of Mbappe. You know, they're just two very good players in a, in a very, very talented French, uh, French squad. Uh, and I think that both, will go on to have very successful, very storied careers. Uh, I just think that Mbappe at this moment in time looks like his star is going to shine brightest, but not only uh, ahead of ahead of Dembele, but ahead of the majority of uh, of, of talented young players coming through in the uh, in the world game at the at this moment in time. I think that Dembele, for me, uh, I I think it was maybe a step too far 
uh, a little too soon going to, to to Barcelona. I do think that there is a lot of sense uh, being talked in in the links uh, with a with a loan move away from Barcelona, whether that's to Liverpool or somewhere else. Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I do think he would benefit from that. I, I think overall, uh, long term, he definitely has the quality to be a Barcelona player. Uh, but I don't see the the place for him in the regular starting eleven. Uh, while you you know you have the likes of, uh, of of Messi and Suarez there, so I uh, I think he would benefit a lot from moving away on loan next season. Uh, um, but I do still think you know there there is plenty to come from uh, from from Dembele, and I don't think that he should uh, you know sort of be seen as as, as you know a, a massively lesser talent than uh, than Mbappe. It's it's very difficult for anybody in the world game at this moment in time to to sort of live up to, to the same standards that Mbappe is setting. Uh, and a, for, for, for me, Dembele, despite a bit of a disappointing World Cup so far, is, is still a player to be excited about. No, certainly, I definitely agree as well. I think it was just, just interesting to me that the um, some of the comparisons I had seen were so simplistic in terms of you know, it's Mbappe or it's in Dembele, and, and look what Dembele's doing. But I think that's, a, that's one of the problems with modern football yeah. uh, these days, you know, you see a lot of that on Twitter, and it's you know it's not always as clear cut as that. You know, uh, I also think that one big challenge that's going to um, be set before Mbappe at some point in his career, probably uh, sooner rather than later, is is morphing from sort of a uh, an attack minded, right sided uh, player to a more central goal scoring figure, sort of similar to the um, similar to the transition that we saw for. Um, from Cristiano Ronaldo over his career, uh, you know, I think that we will see Mbappe morph into a more complete uh, player who who needs to be played through the middle uh, in the future. Whether that's uh, PSG alongside the likes of Neymar, uh, we we will see. But you know, I that's how I do expect things to go for Mbappe over the next couple of years. Whereas with Dembele, I'm not so sure we'll see him move into the middle. I think he will stay uh, almost exclusively uh, out wide. It's, it's interesting that I think. It, it... In a few of the comparisons you made, the Ronaldo one I do see very, very clearly in terms of actually just the some aspects of his game. Actually, it's it's standing out to me more now that you mentioned it. But interesting to see that you didn't sort of mention. I think the player who I think plenty have you can tell me if it's oversimplistic sort of in comparing him to. But I think plenty of people have obviously mentioned the Henri comparisons. Um, uh, do you not see that as much? I mean, I do see that, but the, I mean, the thing is with the Henri one, on, you know, Henri is a very obvious one. Henri is, uh, you know, they're both French. They both started, the, uh, they both <laughs> made their breakthrough at Monaco. It's, uh, I, I, I do see the, the, the similarities, but to, to be perfectly honest, um, I think Mbappe plays more, um, in the first part of his career. The way that Henri did towards the end of his career. That, I mean, that, that, that's, right. that's how, that's how advanced this, this, this kid is. You know, he, he is a phenomenal talent. And whereas with Henri, it took him a while to really, um, you know, sort of embrace his talent and fine tune it. Um, you know, thanks to a lot of, uh, individual work from the likes of Claude Puel and then later on, uh, in his career, Arsene Wenger as well. Uh, whereas Mbappe already, uh, you know, has that, uh, he almost sort of has like four or five years in advance on, uh, on, on Henri. And that's why I would, I would draw, um, the attention to the, the similarities between him and Ronaldo as opposed to, to, to him and Henri. I mean, I can see why people do it. 
Uh, I just think that uh, Ronaldo is probably a, a Brazilian Ronaldo is a closer uh, equivalent um, to to Mbappe than uh, than Thierry Henry. Yeah, and I d- certainly do see that. Actually, I think I might use that as an excuse to go back and watch one of those old uh, Ronaldo compilations. That, of course, there's so many sort of incredible ones online. But um, in terms of how far you think France can go, then we'll move on to Uruguay in a second and talk about their match briefly. But um, in terms of how far you think they can go, obviously there's the the um, sort of the, the opponents who who now await them. Um, but what do you think is going to be key in terms of um, their progression? Is it, is it going to be, as you talked about briefly at the start there, Deschamps in, ensuring to, to keep getting the, the selection correct? Um, or is it player dependent? Because, of course, we did, we, we did mention Matuidi there yeah. um, and how he'd come into the side and had sort of a profound effect on the way in which you were playing. He's not going to be there, is he, for that game against Uruguay, picking up a yellow card in the previous yeah. game, I believe. Um, so how do you see Deschamps getting around that sort of loss? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, that one, because of um, because of the, the yellow card that Matuidi himself came out and said he didn't understand afterwards. Um, I... I <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think for the for the for this one, yeah, uh, France are going to be more attack-minded because obviously Matsuidi uh, is good in the fact that he gives um, a bit of uh, a bit of backup to to the left back, who in this case uh, is uh, is um, Hernandez. But at the same time, when you're coming up against a defensive rock like Uruguay, France are going to need to be more attacking, and this could be where we see somebody like Usman Dembele brought back in, meaning. Interestingly as well, somebody who's actually done very well as a substitute um, so far this World Cup for France is uh, Nabil Fekir. Uh, mm-hmm. And although Fekir is normally uh, is, is normally a number 10, so an, uh, an attacking midfielder who likes to play behind the strikers, he is capable of playing out wide in, uh, in like a front three as well. Uh, and whether that's um, sort of a, a three just behind a striker like Giroud, which is what France are going for at the moment, uh, or a, a three at the front uh, as part of a 4-3-3 formation, Fekir is capable of playing in both of those systems. And for me, uh, with with somebody like Matuidi missing and uh, and that sort of role needing to be filled, uh, I'd be tempted to go for Fekir over somebody like uh, Dembele because Fekir has shown himself uh, to be capable of, uh, of of having an impact at uh, at this World Cup and just cast your mind back to the you know to the to the tedious game against Denmark where his his cameo appearance uh, was was pretty much the the highlight of that from a French point of view and I think that uh, that is the way that that Deschamps can combat this uh, uh, the the absence of Blaise Matuidi uh, Matuidi plays a very important role but I think. Going up against this Uruguayan defence, France are going to need to be more attack-minded. So this suspension of Matuidi, although it is unfair, uh, and I can understand why Matuidi is upset about it, uh, I think it could actually be a blessing in disguise for France. Interesting. I'm sure plenty of people will be keeping their eyes on on Fakir if he does come in to sort of be the replacement there. But um, moving on to the Uruguay game, then, of course, beating Portugal two goals to one. Um, the benefits of an old school sort of striking partnership, albeit one that works very, very hard for the team. Um, Suarez and Cavani then, we saw how they combined for the first goal, uh, not so much for the second, but Cavani's sort of brilliance on display. And again, another player that you get to see on a regular basis. Um, another player who I think often comes under, um, under unfair criticism really in, in the English media, talks about, you know, he, he, 
the likes of Andy Townsend, the whole, oh, he, he doesn't do it when I see him or, or whatever. Uh, it could not be a bigger stage for him to, to perform on. And of course he, um, he did so excellently, but, um, as much as I want, as much as I want to talk to you about Cavani, um, and Suarez, um, I also wanted to ask whether you thought the win was as much down to, um, the pair of Godin and Jimenez. So of course I'm going to, I'm guessing it's increasingly important when they come up against France and all the attacking firepower that we've, we've just been speaking about. But what did you make of that game? It was, it was sort of positioned as the game between two potentially bruiser sort of sides, Uruguay and Portugal. In the end though, um, Cavani's brilliance seemed to, um, shine out and um, Uruguay held on towards the end even though they did look a little bit wary towards the end yeah absolutely I mean I think there's I, I really like this Uruguay side not so much because they play really attractive football but because you can really sense the unity yeah. uh, in the side I mean you pointed out uh, the central defensive partnership of Godin and uh, Jimenez uh, as well as the the, the, the striking partnership of, uh, of, of Cavani and Suarez and they have some very very interesting players all over the pitch. Some very, uh, some, you know, some very underrated ones as well. But those those two areas seem to be yeah. sort of the the key areas. And obviously, losing Edinson Cavani for a match like this would be a massive massive blow uh, for Uruguay. But at the same time, that they they play with such, um, you know, with, with with such collective desire um, and and so such a, a, a self sacrificing attitude that at the same time, uh, you know. I, I almost think that Uruguay could could sort of handle this absence really, uh, and 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 may well be able to almost hammer France into submission really, and and perhaps sneak a, either either sneak a goal uh, towards the end of the the ninety minutes, or perhaps uh, you know push France all the way through one hundred and twenty minutes into penalties. I mean, having having looked at the the, the games that have taken place today, so on uh, on Sunday. Uh, you know, we've seen both matches go to penalties. It's you know, it, it it wouldn't be beyond Uruguay, especially given their defensive record so far in Russia. Uh, you know, to be able to hold France scoreless uh, and and take them all the way to penalties and try to try to win there. I mean, considering the strength of their of their of their collective character, it, you know, it wouldn't surprise you to see them. Uh, you know, sort of uh, hold hold firm. Uh, under the pressure of a penalty shootout um, and perhaps emerge against France that way. That said, uh, like like I was saying earlier, I think this is going to be a real test of uh, of France's ability to attack as well as Uruguay's ability to defend. Uh, and I, I I think it's going to be really interesting to see which one of those two aspects comes out on top because as as important as Cavani and Suarez are to that Uruguay side, uh, I think if you take uh, Godin and or uh, Jimenez out of the out of that defence, uh, they're a completely different team and, uh, and and not in a good way. So I I think that Uruguay uh, still have a chance at this moment in time, considering that it's not one of those two guys uh, in central defence who's going to be missing out against France. Although Jimenez has been uh, has been struggling with a bit of a knock um, in in recent matches in the, in the in the World Cup. I it's it's, it's very. It's very difficult trying to predict which way that one's uh, which way that one's going to go. But with those two uh, in defence, anything will be possible for this Uruguay side, as we uh, as as we saw against Portugal. I mean, I I had that down as as one of those matches where Uruguay would would score that goal and then try and hold on to that lead. And when they failed to hold on to that lead, 
Uh, I was sort of wondering when Portugal might perhaps get the next goal. But the way they came out, uh, Uruguay at the beginning of the second half was really impressive. Managed to get that that second goal themselves. Um, Portugal had no answer to it. So, uh, I mean, you better than many people will will know just how good Luis Suarez can be when he wants to turn it on. Uh, you know, and if one or two chances fall his way against uh, France, you know, Uruguay still have the the teeth in that attack. Uh, no pun intended uh, <laughs> to, to 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 do a bit of damage there. No, of course, I think Suarez is is absolutely no slouch on his own. It's it's it's, 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 it's a bit of a luxury that, that they've had the likes of Suarez and Cavani. I mean, just to touch on it, has it actually been confirmed yet by the Uruguayan FA that the Cavani will miss the game, or, or are they keeping their cards close to their chest until until they have to announce it? It's it's not being confirmed yet. As as I understand, he'll be undergoing some tests at the start of next week, uh, and, and at that point, some uh, precisions will be will probably be made public. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Uruguay do try to keep their cards close to their chest. However, we've seen this uh, in in recent months. Certainly, if you're if you're a PSG fan, with what happened with Neymar, the way that PSG tried to keep it under wraps initially, that he wasn't going to be fit for the for the second leg, so as to not damage morale. Uh, the second leg of the the Champions League clash against Real Madrid, that is, so as to not damage morale. Uh, and I think that the Uruguay will perhaps be uh, keen keen to do that. Um, what I will say in my experience of watching Edinson Cavani is if he comes off the pitch injured, then something quite quite serious has to have happened to force him off. He is he is a fighter, he's a very tough, tough cookie. You know, so I I, I fear for him that his World Cup may well be over. Fingers crossed that it's not, because at the end of the day, you know, if you want to be the best, you've got to be the best. And I think it would be a shame if France get past Uruguay uh, and Uruguay weren't at uh, full strength. But at the same time, this sort of thing can happen over the over the course of a World Cup. And if it does prove uh, to have been Cavani's final act at the World Cup, then scoring two goals to take them past Portugal into the quarterfinals is, you know, is not a is not a bad way to go out. Yeah, certainly a memorable c- contribution. You can you can talk about his toughness, and, uh, and I think it, the exact same thing applies to Suarez as well. I think towards the end of that game, I was <laughs> I was trying to keep an eye on him and uh, just. Found it hilarious, just just how exhausted he absolutely was towards the end, and um, it's it, it's quite rare to see Suarez not trying to do the whole tracking back. I guess uh, things have changed since yeah. his since his Liverpool days in terms of the energy level that he that he perhaps now possesses. But um, for Uruguay as well, I've often seen him sort of run himself into the ground, but uh, I'm sure he'll do that again against France. So you've touched on it in a few ways so far, but then but how do you think sort of France? match up against Uruguay then based on the strengths that we've talked about um, people of um, I think Griezmann himself actually came, has, has seemingly come out and compared uh, Uruguay's approach to, to Atletico um, obviously they're, they're, there's a few players in there um, that he'll know very well I found that sort of a slightly odd com- um, sort of odd comparison I, I was trying to figure out whether it was obviously not intended to be derogatory but perhaps did, 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 did come across a little bit like that way but um do you think it's going to be as much a test of France's mentality? As you mentioned, there's quite a few young players in the side, undoubtedly talented, but would they um, would they have been up against a test like this in terms of your mental fortitude um, you, against gritty players who are, are quality but also have that sort of toughness about them? Do you think that's going to be um, equally important in, in terms of a test for this France side? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I think going back to what we spoke about earlier as well with the with the absence of Blaise Matuidi, this is one area where, uh, you know, he he will be he will really be missed because he's one of the most experienced players in the France squad. Uh, you know, he's been there, done that. Rarely gets uh, carried away. I mean, the 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 booking itself was a nonsense uh, because you know he wasn't speaking to the referee, uh, and and he still picked up a yellow card. So it's uh, it's very unfortunate for Matuidi, and he, you know he will be missed by 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 Deschamps. But at the same time, I think having Griezmann, having Hernandez in the in the, in the starting eleven, two players that know Atletico Madrid's tactics very well, uh, will be able to inform their teammates ahead of the ahead of the clash exactly what to expect from this uh, from this Uruguay side. Uh, and when you look across the rest of the team. Yes, the the players are very uh, are very young, and they're largely inexperienced as a group. But each player individually, uh, you know, still either plays for one of the the, the one of Europe's top clubs, uh, or has you know experience of, of football at uh, at Europe's highest levels, uh, at least for the last couple of seasons. Been okay, perhaps with the exception of. Uh, somebody like Pavar, who, you know, with no disrespect to, to Stuttgart, is maybe not playing at the same level uh, as some of the other guys he's in uh, the defence with, like, uh, you know, Ramadri's Rafa Varane, Barcelona's Samuel Titi, Atletico's uh, Hernandez. But, uh, you know, I think this is where the more experienced members of the, the starting eleven, so the likes of Giroud, the likes of Hugo Lloris, uh, are really going to come to the fore and their experience will, will, will count a lot. Uh, because although France don't have as much um, uh, as much grinter, for want of a for want of a better word, um, as 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 Uruguay do, they do still have a lot of experienced players, and with that experience, France should be able to uh, to rise rise above um, Uruguay's should we say shit shit housery tactics, which uh, which which is basically what Griezmann was was trying to warn the. French press about uh, when he was speaking about Atletico, and uh, it was a bit it was a bit clumsy of him really because obviously it's going to uh, land him in a bit of trouble again with Atletico just a couple of weeks after all of that nonsense regarding his uh, his contract renewal and ultimately deciding to stay with Atletico. Uh, but at the same time, there is a lot of truth in what he said as well. You know, he did admit to the fact that you know under Diego Simeone, Atletico Madrid play this certain style of football. Uh, that might not be pretty, but does get results. And I think that's basically what he was trying to say, tr- the message that he was trying to get yeah, across. Uh, and at this at, at this World Cup, you know, Uruguay seemed to be doing that. They're playing uh, this not necessarily attractive all of the time uh, style of football, but one that is is getting results for them at the at, at this moment in time. No, I think for sure. I think I I I, I did assume that Griezmann was talking about sort of the. Uh... The approach Uruguay take in those terms, to be honest. But um, in terms of then, I mean, if if, if Saturday's games were sort of thrilling encounters that, um, you know, thankfully ended within within the ninety minutes. Um, Sunday's games, today's games, Spain versus Russia, um, and Croatia um, versus Denmark as well. Um, as we mentioned, you know, both going the whole the whole distance, two penalty shootouts to actually be decided. Um, that first game in Spain versus Russia. Interested to see what you um, sort of made of that. Of course, Russia's approach was very, very um, defensive, um, as you perhaps would imagine it being um, against a opponent of the quality of Spain. Um, was the first shootout of the tournament, of course, and I think plenty of people will, will now be looking as to who who is to blame for Spain's exit. I think people have been looking for that 
um, irrespective of how Spain did in this tournament, as soon as they made the, the, the decision to sack their manager two days prior to the tournament beginning. In, in your opinion, I mean, I mean, obviously this is a shock exit for, for Spain. Everybody would have, would have expected them to overcome Russia in the end. What do you put it down to in, in terms of their performance today? Do, do you think it was those changes that we saw Kiara made to the starting lineup? Perhaps weren't needed. People are trying to make a connection between the hangover from that sacking of, of Lubbock. I, 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 I can never say his, I can never say his name right, so I'll, I'll move on from it. But, um, what do you think is to blame there for the way in which Spain played today? It seemed often lethargic, despite dominating uh, sort of large swathes of the game. And I think the biggest problem for Spain is the, the the way that their group stage worked out, because they were in a group with Portugal, uh, with Morocco, and with Iran, uh, and with no disrespect to, to to Morocco and Iran, they played their biggest match first, which was against Portugal. So they peaked. Uh, in an absolute sense, at the very beginning, uh, played out a you know a wonder a wonderful uh, memorable three three draw, but it was downhill from there. You know they they couldn't seem to raise their game as much as they did against the Portuguese, uh, against either Morocco or Iran, uh, and it was the it was the same with Russia. You know so basically for me the the problem for Spain is the fact that they they faced a team with as much quality as Portugal. And then didn't face teams as good as Portugal uh, after that. Whereas for most other teams at this World Cup, uh, you know the the, the improvements of quality of their opponents has has been kind of gradual. I mean, I think that you know in an ideal world is 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 how you would have your World Cup with the opponent gradually getting a bit more difficult. Uh, I don't think there have been too many draws uh, in this World Cup where you've seen a team have a very very tough first match. Uh, and then the matches sort of get, I wouldn't say easier after that, but you know, the the matches that follow are not as uh, as, as not as challenging. Uh, and I I think for for me that was the the biggest problem for Spain more than any of uh, any of the things that have been talked about uh, in the in the wake of their exit at the hands of Russia. That said, uh, you know that it was the, this Spain side. Even against Portugal, uh, you know, I I think they they looked impressive against Portugal because people expected them to be such a mess. Uh, I I still think that this Spain side looked a shadow of its former self, uh, and and was basically um, trying to sort of be the Spain that they were sort of five years ago or so, and you know they just weren't able to do that. It's I I think it was the natural end of a cycle. Uh, and many changes need to be made now um, within this Spain squad for, for for them to continue succeeding at international level. Uh, it didn't surprise me that Andres Iniesta announced his retirement after the match. It wouldn't surprise me if certain other figures uh, follow him into into international retirement. Uh, but I also think that it's a strong decision will need to be made on uh, on who's coach as well. Because let's let's be honest, uh, you know, as as good as that opening match against Portugal was. Iello hasn't really shown that he's the right guy to take over from Lopetegui at the uh, at the end of the day. I mean, I I do think that the whole situation with 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 Lopetegui was a complete mess. Uh, you know, I, I think the Real Madrid have a lot to answer for there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you'd think that a legend, an international legend of the the Spanish game like Iello, would be able to to get his players to you know to command that respect and inspire the players uh, to 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 be a bit better against the likes of Morocco, Iran and uh, uh, and Russia than they actually were. Yeah, it was interesting, I think, just relating it back to what you said then in terms of this Spain side sort of searching for 
previous or past form. Um, it was just all the ability in the world in terms of technical brilliance. And uh, um, if you were to pick a side that has an abundance of creativity within it, I mean, th- this would be a side where you, where you look at all those number 10s and you just think, well, the, the, surely if any side's going to be able to break a team down, it would be this one. But ha- however, the, there is sort of a lack of genuine width in the side. I, I, know, I know the fullbacks do their best, but um, it did appear that was an issue. Um, plenty of times and uh, I think you're right as well into the, becoming the end of a cycle with um, you know, Spain needing to rediscover an identity or or discover how they want to move forward without the likes of Andres Iniesta um, and uh, yeah I, I, I'm similar to you I'm imagining that, that there are going to be more and more players coming forward um, perhaps considering their future on, on the international stage for Spain so it's, a, it's definitely an interesting time for them and Russia on the other hand of course um how how have they surprised you? Because I think you know, plenty has been made of, of sort of how despondent people seem to, seemed to be about their chances prior to prior to the tournament you know, starting. Um, but they seem to have gone from strength to strength based on the uh, on the results they've gotten and that opening day sort of uh, win that they picked up. Of course, you know, riding that wave of confidence, um, and they'll fancy their chances going into the next round against. Uh, against Croatia, won't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they will because, let's be honest, I think Russia now feel that because they've got to the quarterfinals, yeah. this is this is, this is is mission accomplished for them. I don't think this Russia side, uh, despite the fact that they were hosts, came into this competition really thinking they had a chance of, of, of doing something significant. I mean, OK, you look at the way that the draw has opened up uh, for them and you'd say that there is still a chance of them Getting to the, getting to the semi-finals, you know, perhaps even managing to make it to the final with some massive stroke of luck. I don't think that will ultimately happen, but, uh, you know, it, it is a possibility as we've seen in this World Cup. Anything can happen. I've not been particularly impressed by Russia. Okay. I'll, I'll admit I was a bit impressed by them against Spain, but that was more because of their, their heroic approach. It wasn't because there was any sort of free flowing football. Um, that sort of thing. It was just that they were so determined, uh, you know, and, and that was kind of personified with uh, Igor Akinfev's late heroics uh, towards the end of extra time and then in the penalty shootout as well. Um, I mean, you look you look at the victories that they got in the group stage, uh, you know, thumping, thumping Saudi Arabia in the opening match. It was very easy to get those players feeling very confident straight away uh, because they, they were up against quite a poor side. Uh, and I think that they were able to ride the, the crest of the wave through the second match. Uh, and then they, of course, rested a lot of players and lost the third. I've not been particularly impressed by Russia. Um, I do think that they um, were one of the poorest um, host nation teams in recent World Cup history. However, the fact that they got a very favourable draw in the group um, has sort of papered over the, their cracks. And now they're going to finish as... Uh, quarter finalists or better, uh, even if their their squad perhaps you know didn't necessarily merit that. But at the same time, you can only beat what's put in front of you, uh, you know, and it's it's up to you over 90 minutes or 120 minutes and and possibly penalties after that uh, to find a way past your opponents. That's what they did against Spain. So uh, so credit credit to them for that. And you know they did have to to get through those group stage matches as well, which they did with uh, with minimal fuss at least for the first two games. Um, but I, I have not been so impressed by this Russia side that I think that they're going to 
um, you know, go much further than the the quarterfinals. Really, it wouldn't surprise me if this is as as far as their World Cup campaign goes. And I think, you know, I think they'll be they'll be happy with that, considering the issues they had pre-tournament. Yeah, I think so as well. I think I think you when you say mission accomplished, I think they will view that um, that as being the case, given that this was seemingly so improbable at the start of the tournament. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's just a familiar sight to see in terms of the host nation riding a wave of confidence that seems to. Um, help them get over hurdles that perhaps you wouldn't initially estimate that they'd even be able to. But um, another tough match to sort of get through in terms of the battle that it 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 took from both sides. Spain sort of you know, trying for a long, long time to sort of find any sort of gap in there for them um, that just just wasn't to be at the end. But uh, the final game that I want to talk to you about just before before we wrap up then is obviously Croatia versus Denmark. Um, I, I'm interested in what you think about this game based upon, I think, lots of people then saw when, when, when Spain did go out, just wondering, you know, could this be an opportunity for the likes of Croatia, a side that, you know, again, has plenty of quality to it? You know, could they go a bit deeper in, 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 in the competition than, than they'd initially planned for or estimated? Um, I was really disappointed in terms of how Croatia actually played in the game um, after sort of a bright start to the game. Um, it seemed like there really was a lack of structure about them, a lack of sort of um, cohesive plan to what they were trying to do, despite the odd sort of, um, sort of moment of quality and, and based on the players that they have, we we know they're always going to be capable of that. Um, Denmark seemed very very uh, tough, um, both to break down, but on, but then also actually more impressive on the ball than I thought they were going to be going forward. So. Um, was this a case of sort of Croatia misfiring um, and Denmark trying to take uh, advantage of that? And, and, and would you hope and uh, I guess imagine that they'd be better um, in their next game against Russia? I mean, I don't think we've seen um, the last of Croatia in this World Cup. I don't think yeah. they automatically became a, uh, a poor side just because they struggled against Denmark. I mean, let, let's remember, you know, that Denmark also um, played out the nil-nil draw with France that ended the group stage. Of course. Uh, I I didn't get the impression watching Denmark that they were a particularly attractive side to watch, and they knew that. Uh, so they were always going to play uh, a slight negative style of football that was, uh, you know, that was more looking at getting the result. Uh, than sort of winning over any sort of like neutral supporters with um, uh, with, with with some attractive style of football, uh, I I think it's inevitable over the course of any World Cup, especially the deeper you go in the competition, uh, that you're not going to be able to sort of hit the heights of certain performances uh, in each and every game. Uh, you know, when you bear in mind how complete Croatia's performance was against uh, an admittedly poor Argentina team, but at that point, you know they 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 still weren't under as much pressure as they were going into their their group match against Nigeria and then uh, into the last sixteen clash against France. Uh, you know, um, let let's let's remember. You know, Croatia very very impressive in those in those group stage matches. Uh, managed to to rotate pretty much their entire starting eleven for for the final group stage game as well. So there was always going to be a risk that the continuity. Uh, was disrupted a little bit, and I think that combined with the fact that Denmark managed to get a very, very early goal, uh, rumbled Croatia a little bit. They, they did hit back relatively quickly, but after that, it all, it all became a bit tedious, and, and that wasn't a surprise really, because it was almost like Denmark, uh, were playing the France match over again, but knew that they needed to at least score once, 
in in order to to stand a chance of advancing, and that's why we saw them manage to to grab the early goal and then try and sit back on it. Okay, they failed to avoid uh, Mandzukic getting the equaliser, but after that, you know, they were they were very you know they were they were very happy almost playing for extra time and then penalties after it. So I don't think that we can be too harsh on Croatia uh, just because of. Uh, you know, just because of the way that the Denmark approached the match. Okay, I mean, I think we're entitled to expect a little bit more uh, from Croatia, but who's to say that we're not going to get that uh, going into the quarterfinals against uh, against Russia? I don't think one disappointing or below par performance uh, makes a bad World Cup campaign, and uh, you know, things are still going according to plan for Croatia, even if it was a bit more dramatic than than perhaps they'd uh, they, they'd hoped. But for me, I still think that they are um, a good shout. Uh, as as dark horses for this uh, for this World Cup title, and obviously uh, we've still got a few more games to go in the in the last sixteen. And depending on what happens there, they may well even grow into into, into more of a, a of a favourites role for for the remainder of this tournament. Depending on who else goes out, and for sure, I think I do see them as dark horses. I think it was the disappointment probably came more from the fact that I was so eager for them to actually progress. <laughs> In the competition, despite having no sort of allegiance to Croatia, anyway, it was just you know I, I can't have another another team full of all these talented players. Not I mean I th- I think that one of the good things as well about Croatia is they seem to be like this perennial dark horse yeah. of the world. <laughs> they always seem to turn up at these tournaments and play well and produce some some classic matches. The the, the performance against Argentina this time was was, was superb, uh, very entertaining in what was quite a um, a, a dry opening spell of group stage matches, uh, and then you know sort of cast your mind back as well to, to Euro 2018 when they played out that thrilling um, clash with uh, with Turkey, which was which was kind of similar in many ways to to what we saw earlier against uh, against Denmark. And you know I think I think they're one of the uh, the sure values of of international football when it comes to these big tournaments that you can rely on them. Uh, because of the you know the, the the talented players that they continually produce uh, to play some entertaining football at, uh, at at times during tournaments and you know go on runs that take them uh, you know deep into these tournaments. No, for sure, I think I think there have been plen- plenty of sort of previous um, in- indications that Croatia are always going to have this potential to go further into a competition like this, and I hope that they do uh, keep going. I think Russia um, do present them with an opportunity to go even further and as you mentioned based on the results that we see uh, in the remainder of the week it's going to be interesting to see how things open up for them so anyway Jonathan just thanks so much for helping me cover all those weekend games the first round knockout fixtures I I guess just before we do wrap up and and, and close things off I wanted to ask you obviously you'll have particular allegiances but who are you sort of picking then for the World Cup you're you're going to ask you're you're asking me if football's coming home aren't you uh, <laughs> I've actually managed to avoid the phrase "Is it coming home?" because um, I think on the last pod that I did, my God, I just <laughs> I really I really used that heavily. But um, yeah, is 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 football coming home? Is 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 Kylian Mbappe in France and uh, are Brazil going to all be denied by uh, the magnificence of, De- of Jesse Lingard and Harry Kane? Uh, it's the that's a good question. I, mean, I, <laughs> I I can't I kind of feel in, in quite a fortunate position at the moment in that I cover the French national team, but I am English, so I can enjoy both teams' runs in this World Cup. And you know, who knows? Maybe I'll even get sort of the ultimate dilemma, oh God, yes. and they both meet. They both meet <laughs> in the final. But uh, no, I mean, I th- I think both both sides, considering the way that the draw's gone, 
France, considering the fact that they've gotten past Argentina, which no matter how chaotic the group stage was, uh, you know, there was always going to be a chance that they could be upset by them because of the brilliance of, uh, of Messi and some of Argentina's individuals. Uh, you know, now that France are past that, um, I'm confident for England, not only because of James Rodriguez's injury, but because of the way that they've been playing so far in Russia uh, and the fact that Colombia, even with James, hadn't looked all that convincing. Uh, you know, the, the, that England can make it to the quarterfinals at least. And then, if you know, with both of them there, uh, you know, I, th- I think that they, they stand a, a strong chance of making it to the semis or, or, or better. I mean, I think you, you're, you've got to look now at the way that the draw has opened up for England. Uh, you know, Spain out. It's, it, it looks promising for England. But then again, any England fan will know, any England fan will know that when things look good, for England and you and you you're sort of getting your hopes up. That's when uh, you know that's when that's when the disappointment yep. starts to set in. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Uh, you know it would be great to have both teams. Uh, for for me, from a personal point of view, to see France and England both go on very deep runs and perhaps meet uh, at the towards the very end. Um, and you know if if not, I'd be happy if you know at least one can get to the the semi final or, or or the final. And I think both have a a good chance of that at the moment. Is football coming home? I think it's still a little bit too early to say, but uh, this this is this is England's best chance uh, of at least getting to a, a major international tournament final in a long, long time, and I I really hope they don't blow it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's all it's all one that we're going to be watching uh, very intently, and, and, and plenty of exciting games to go as well. I think I'm, uh, I'm personally really looking forward to Brazil, Mexico tomorrow as well, and uh, um, to all of us listening. Please make sure to keep things, uh, keep your eyes peeled to this Anfield Index channel because we are going to be doing more of these World Cup pods as the week goes through and, and there are more knockout fixtures to to talk about. So, um, Jonathan, thanks again for helping me sort of discuss sort of France's br- brilliant performance yesterday and uh, and the rest of the knockout fixtures that we've, that we've gone through as well. And um, I'm sure you'll have plenty more to uh, to enjoy throughout the rest of the World Cup. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, yeah, fingers crossed that the... Uh... The tournament remains as entertaining and dramatic as it has been uh, as it's been so far. Absolutely, thank you to all those who who are who are listening, and uh, yeah, please make sure that you keep your eyes peeled out for the next because yeah, plenty more of these World Cup pods are uh, coming along this week. Podcast Network.